Madison Story Slam podcast, and I am your host, Adam Rosted. Welcome. Uh, our episode today is a Story Slam episode, uh, so we're going to hear a lot of great stories from a lot of great people. Our theme was puberty, uh, which is always a good time for everybody. And I uh, want to tell you that we were packed at this event. We had over 100 people show up. There were people sitting on the floor. Uh, it was pretty much standing room only. The whole back of the room was just crowded. It was a really good time. So at the next Story Slam, which is in February, at the end of February, uh, be sure to come out early and grab a seat. Anyway, here's our first storyteller talking about his wiener and puberty. Hi. I hope you don't mind I'm going to use the mic stand because this is about puberty. Uh, I am so happy and proud to be kicking off this story evening because I don't know about you, but I think puberty is hilarious. Because you're taking one of the most awkward and embarrassing times of your life, coming at the worst age that it could come at, and that is just ripe for comedy storytelling. So I will begin. Um, so when you go through puberty, you've got all these questions. Why is my voice changing? Why do I have hair on my face and under my arms? And most importantly, what the hell is happening to my wiener? <laughs> so in 1973, I'm 13 years old in the spring, and I am in the eighth grade. I'm five feet, five inches tall, and 150 pounds all baby fat. I look like a greasy-haired, double-chin cartoon squirrel who just ate his way through a 50-pound bag of walnuts. My mom is shopping for me in the husky section of the boys' department at Sears. So the end of May comes. It's the end of the school year. Summer comes and goes. And September rolls around, and now I'm going back to school for my freshman year. I'm now six feet, two and a half inches tall, 150 pounds. <laughs> I no longer look like a little double chin squirrel. I now look like Jack Skellington <laughs> with a bigger head. You could stick my arms out and tape a sheet to my back and fly me like a kite. <laughs> So my first day of school, my freshman year, nobody knows who I am. <laughs> they don't recognize me. One of my good friends from elementary school comes up to me at lunch and asks me what school I had transferred from. <laughs> and those that did recognize me looked at me funny out of the corner of their eye, like, what happened to Tony? Was he in a car accident? <laughs> Did he have surgery of some kind? And I remember the, one of the more popular girls in school, Pam Kempkin, she sort of sidled up to me in the hallway, and she goes, Tony Wood. Yeah. You got tall. Yeah. So there was an upside. Girls like tall guys. The horrible downside is... I had absolutely no motor control 
over this new body that I had been given. I was like this spastic stork on acid. My feet are going one way and my arms are going another way. I don't know where my head is going. I'm like in this weird Eastern European stilt circus. I can't operate the machine. I'm all elbows and knees. I'm running into walls. I'm knocking things off of shelves. I'm falling over people at the least provocation. I think I actually broke the jaw of a girl at the fall dance. I was like trying to, you know, bust a move, and it's like, boom, and I hit her right in the jaw. And the next thing I know, she's running to the girl's room with two friends in tow. She's holding her mouth. She's got tears running down her eyes. And uh, I was mortified. I just spent the rest of the evening standing by the punch bowl. <laughs> like we had a punch bowl at my dance. <laughs> This is, it's 1922, and everybody's doing the Charleston. Um, oh, so anyway, um, the weirdest, most bizarre part was um, I decided to make a fashion statement that fall with my back-to-school clothes. <laughs> I tried to be hip and trendy. So I had the polyester fake silk shirt with the antique cars printed on it yes. with the long collar open to here. Bright red cranberry double-knit slacks, bell-bottoms with the highway sands belt. And for the ladies, the piece de resistance, shiny brown vinyl platform shoes with like at least a six-inch faux wood grain heel. Like at least six inches. So there I am, like floating down the hallway, this scarecrow pimp. Like... Six foot eight, 150 pounds. I'm teetering dangerously above the heads of my classmates. I'm ready to like collapse at any minute, like the second tower on top of them. And I was like, like Ichabod Superfly. And um, so, as the, as the days and weeks went on, I kind of got more comfortable, and I got more corded, and I felt better about my body. But um, And then as the years went on, I actually, even though I hit my head on some low ceilings and some kitchen cabinets, I'm actually very, very comfortable and kind of happy with being a quote-unquote tall person. But there is one nagging question that has haunted me throughout all these years. What the hell is happening with my wiener? Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. That's that. That's a question that's been uh, bothering me for a while too. What's happening with your wiener? We'll talk later. Good. That's going on the podcast. Uh, is Angela Bardwolf here? Everybody, give it up for Angela. You want this? I do. I'm gonna bring it way down. So I'm telling a story, but with the aid of an artifact, which is um, a letter that I wrote to myself when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, it was an assignment that uh, we had to do, and then our teacher, our English teacher, would give it back to us um, when we were seniors. And so she made sure to say things like, you know, talk about how much things cost or music you listen to. So this is, um, I'll give you the date, and then um, if you... And you might recall some of these things. So the date is, because she had us date the letter, uh, May 1st, 1998. Um, 
Dear Angela, how are you today? I'm extremely happy right now, and I couldn't think of a better time to write this. I hope I can still read my handwriting. I hope it hasn't gotten increasingly worse. Anyway, I am currently wearing my favorite outfit. I am wearing a navy blue rainbow sweater vest with a yellow polo shirt underneath, a pair of wide leg jeans, my Forrest Gump shoes, and a pair of rainbow earrings. Um, And so, even though this is being recorded, I uh, brought along another artifact here. So here you go. I still have it um, because I think it's still cool. I don't really wear it anymore. But um, one other thing I neglected to uh, write about in this letter is I also was a fan of the hemp chokers. So I was definitely wearing the hemp choker necklace. Um, All right. Let's see. I have below shoulder length hair and curled bangs. I am 120 pounds, 5'2". I hope I am at least two to four inches taller now. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Let's see here. CDs used to be $15, but have recently gone up to $18. (laughs) All right. Uh, This vest was $15. I have a pair of 50-cent jeans I bought at a rummage sale a year ago. Can I still fit into them? I don't know. I don't have them anymore. Um, Titanic is the biggest movie, and the hype is driving me nuts. I love Austin Powers and the Star Wars trilogy. I still love Queen after three years of my pledged loyalness. I am not as obsessed as I used to be, though. I like Blur, but they are losing popularity. (laughs) But guess what? I still got my Blur CD. Actually, I had several, but this was the popular one at the time. Um, Just called Blur. Uh, Do I still own those CDs? Mm -hmm. Right now, my friends are Anna, Spring, Liz, Cheryl, Andy, Lucas, Aaron, and Corey. The reason I am extremely happy today is because I asked Corey to ask a certain guy out for me. And if you don't remember his name, you have severe memory loss. His name was Jason. I don't know if he said yes or no yet, so I'm still waiting. All right, so here's where I digress. Um, He said no. He's like, I don't even know her, which is true. He didn't even know who I was. (laughs) But I I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, Not into guys anymore. My future goal long term is to get into a great college on a scholarship and become a drama teacher or an actress. Neither of those things happen. Uh, My advice to myself as a senior is to pick one thing and stick to it and see it through to the end and give it your all. Hmm, I have strong feelings of love and determination right now. It is currently gray and humid out right now. It's kind of wet and sticky out. Ooh. 
have so many goals this summer. I'll be able to drive with my temp, so I'm very anxious for that. I'll turn 16 at the end of the summer. I plan to earn enough money to reimburse my savings account $100 from the Florida trip I took in March. I plan to buy a CD player with car kit. I plan to make a garden in front of the house to make it look pretty. But I'll probably have to work the tobacco field, which I am not looking forward to. Um, so I grew up on a farm, and uh, we, we grew tobacco, and that's how I earned my m- money. Um, I don't have a car, and I can't get a job in town because I can't drive. My sisters are both doing fine. Tracy wants to get contacts, and she is graduating eighth grade. Michelle still has braces. Apparently, that's the only thing about her. Um, My parents are doing fine. My dad is a maintenance man for City Hall in Sun Prairie, and my mom is a bank teller slash Avon rep. We just completed the new addition on our house, and it looks great. Leia, my cat with a mustache, is doing fine indoors at the moment. Delilah, that's another cat we had, just had three beautiful kittens. I enjoy watching news radio and early edition. (laughs) I've also been on a Jeopardy fix these past few days. I really enjoy biking and swimming in the summer, and I love to play badminton. I didn't get a chance to join softball this year, though. I should have known I was a lesbian. Um, I think... Rainbows. I was like super obsessed with rainbows, and I didn't. I didn't have a clue at all. No clue. Um, all right. I think drugs are bad, bad, bad. <laughs> okay, I was kind of a nerd, uh, but I wouldn't. Okay, but I wouldn't mind getting high once. <laughs> tastes like warm urine and <laughs> and binging is a hick trait. Uh, I think school is okay and I think I'm doing pretty good as far as working hard and getting good grades. Uh, I already said my career plans and I hope there's a bit uh, I hope they're a bit more specific when I graduate. I daydream about going to England and visiting Kensington Street and looking at the stars. I daydream about doing all those things with somebody I love. I've had no embarrassing moments. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, until I got rejected. Um, I've had no embarrassing moments, and a fun time in the past was going to Disney World with the choir and lip syncing Another One Bites the Dust dressed in my yellow jacket as Freddie Mercury. Um, so, yeah, I was doing drag already. Um, <laughs> High school so far is pretty good and enduring, and I hope it was easier my senior year as I planned. Ta-ta, love, Angela. Um, okay, so I noticed there's tons of people congregating by the door. There's a bunch of empty space right here, guys. Let's, let's just move in. And, like, I know we're all standing, and it kind of sucks. But let's just move in. Uh, again, if you're just getting here, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> 
no, if you're just getting here and you want to tell a story, uh, the sign-up is in the back on the bar. Our theme is puberty, and I'm sure we've all been through it, some of us more than others. Uh, our next storyteller is a guy named Jamie Holhutz, Hootzer? Hol- I'm not quite sure how to say it, but he's here, so give a round of applause for Jamie. That's Holsutter, Adam. Uh, J-A-M-I-E for the judges. Swipe right. Uh, Ladies, swipe right as well. Um, No, really, uh, it's not a bad idea. So uh, I wanted to tell you guys about the peak of my social career, which happened the summer before eighth grade. And I know you might be thinking, oh, man, that seems like a pretty like vague, ambiguous time to try to cut down into ten to five, or five to ten minutes, but I can nail it down to the day, July 4th, 2000. I know this because this is the day that I started dating the popular girl. Hell, you, yes. hell yes. Yes, Adam. Thank you. That's how I felt, too. Uh, you all have met her somewhere in your school. She's blonde. She's tall. She's on the Palm Squad, which is like the sexy, scandalous version of cheerleaders. <laughs> she bangs all the dudes on the football and the basketball team, and I really hope she's not here right now because that would be embarrassing. <laughs> but I dated her, and it was all downhill from there. So this story starts July 4th, summer before my 8th grade year. This is 2000, so to set the scene, uh, Cisco's thong song is pretty popular at the time. <laughs> Uh, Jumpin' Jumpin' by Destiny's Child, not Beyonce. (laughs) Ladies, leave your men at home. Uh, And It's Gonna Be May by NSYNC is playing. So download those from Napster, burn those onto that CD, and put it onto your anti-shock CD player and let it play in the background for you, all right? Because those were probably playing in the background while I was getting ready for this 4th of July pool party. And I should note, getting ready at that time meant applying copious amounts of fluorescent gel for about 20 minutes standing this far away from the mirror just so I could get my hair, just so. And a little background, I'm from Janesville. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's a bummer. It's a, yeah, it's, you know. Um, and Janesville has three public middle schools and about a handful of private Catholic schools. And they all feed into two public high schools. And the public school kids and the private school kids don't really hang out. I'm a public school kid. Uh, but I had an in with some of the private school kids because I went to church. The only good thing that ever did for me. <laughs> And yes, yeah, uh, you know. Um, but the cool thing with the private school kids was I could shed my sort of nerdy, quiet, shy, nice guy persona that I had with the public school kids, and I could be, you know, a little enigmatic, mysterious, charming, even very alluring, right, ladies? Uh, looking back on it, they were probably just jacked up on hormones and just hoping to meet some guy that they didn't know since first grade. But that was my opportunity to seize, and I was there trying to seize it. So come to the pool party, 4th of July, 2000. Quickly divest myself from my parents, lest I be seen spotted with them because I'm in my broody middle schooler phase. Head straight to the back to the pool, and I spot her. My Juliet for the story, if you will. She's tall, but not too tall, because at that time, girls were a lot taller than guys, and that could be intimidating. Sandy blonde hair, black swimsuit with these like pink accents on it, and being a grown man saying an eighth grader was pretty attractive is not appropriate. So let's just say she was the type of eighth grader that wore a two-piece. So this pool party got a lot more interesting for me. 
I enter middle school pool party flirtation mode, which is pretty complex. High strategy level. It basically involves a lot of noise and splashing to gain attention, and then an errant basketball or frisbee to set the interaction. And as I say that, I realize that's what I do nowadays anyways. Why do you think I'm on this stage? I'm not desperate. Um, so, So basketball goes flying. We have our interaction, and the dance of seduction begins. We engage in what I can only imagine to have been some very witty banter. Probably discussed yo-yos. I think they were pretty popular at the time. We had a lot in common, you know, similar interests in music, movies, and things like that. Also, our name was the same. Yeah, right, I know, yeah. Looking back, maybe a bad idea. She spelled it differently, though, so, you know, totally, totally normal. Uh... We played some poolside basketball and somehow always ended up entangled in some sort of mass of hormones and, you know, just basically we were smitten. So smitten, in fact, that I later found out she thought I had cute armpit hair. (laughs) Which is weird, but at the time that was really good to hear because, like, I had the hair, like, I got a beard now, like, I had hair then and I had, like, the five hairs around my nipples and I didn't know what to do with that. Like, that was, so I was actually, I was pretty proud. So that was pretty good. So we're smitten. We, uh, we watched the fireworks side by side that night. You know, a romantic metaphor for what was going on in my brain. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Uh, you know, and it, and it worked really well because that was the first time that I remember being totally aware of someone's presence next to me. Every time she would, like, accidentally graze my arm or something, what does that mean? <laughs> what is she trying to tell me? It's probably love. It's probably what it was. Probably right there. That's, that's all I could assume. We exchanged phone numbers, landlines, obviously. And that was the peak. That's the climax of the story because I never called her that summer because I was terrified. I was so scared that her dad would see my number on the caller ID and know what I was thinking about his daughter. And it's uh, so my relationship with Jamie, uh, you know, it didn't work out. I think our lack of communication might have been a small possible uh, leader to the, the fall apart in our relationship. That next year after eighth grade, we would go on to public high school and she would enjoy much success in the social echelons of high school, you know, banging the dudes and such. And not, not me. Uh, I didn't, but at least I had cute armpit hair. Thank you, Jamie. Um, so I didn't, I never dated the popular girl in high school, but I got close. And by close, I mean, uh, there are are several people here who went to high school with me, so they'll know uh, of the people that I speak of. Uh, All throughout high school, I had a crush on a girl named Laura, who was in my class. And I won't say her last name, just just in case she listens to the podcast. Also, I think my wife is not in here right now, so uh, I think she's next door getting pizza, so we're good. Uh, I remember my senior year of high school, I was dating a girl named Christy who lived in Chicago, and three weeks before prom, my senior year, she broke up with me. And, like, that's pretty harsh, three weeks before prom. I had already bought tickets. We were going to prom together. And I was like, well, now's my chance. Laura doesn't have a date yet, and I can ask Laura out. So I remember I waited till after school was over because that's the prime prime time to ask the popular girl out. 
I don't know. She might not might not have been the popular girl in my class, but I like to think so. She was cute. <laughs> the people here who are in my class are like, no, she was not the popular girl. <laughs> but she was cute nonetheless. And so I remember she had she had a locker at the end of the hall, very end of the hall. So I, I get out of class and I can see her. And I'm like, all right, now's the chance. And and you know how like when you're gonna ask the girl out, you've always wanted to ask out, like time slows down. And you can hear your heart beating. And it's sort of like the million dollar man where it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. And like so I'm hearing my I'm walking down the hall and I'm like, yeah. Uh, she's totally gonna say yes. And then her her locker was right by the North Tower. And that's a stairwell. And at the top of the stairs, obviously, there's a door. And as I'm walking down to ask her out, the, the, the door is open. And the guy who walks out is a guy named Tony. And we all, we all know a Tony in our lives. Tony, Tony was a jock. I'm, I was not a jock. Uh, I was a, mu- a musician, and I could care less about sports. And Tony was like the arrogant prick. All my, like, we all know Tony, right? We've all had a Tony in our lives. And so I kind of stop, and he, he goes up to Laura, and he's mouths something to her, and she looks at him and just kind of shakes her head yes excitedly. And I was like... Damn it! I lost my chance. I never asked Laura out. And now she's married. But I'm married too, and I'm really excited about it. Our next storyteller, uh, the last time he told a story, it was a great story about a shootout in uh, Joplin, Missouri. And I'm dead serious. It was, he was at a gas station, and he witnessed, like, two men with handguns shooting at each other from the hip, as he says. He said, one guy just whipped it out, and I mean, like, a handgun. Puberty. And he was like... And so I'm expecting a lot out of his story tonight. He's given me a groan. But everybody here, give a big round of applause for Sammy! Hey, everybody. So that's the perfect entrance for this story, um, because those of you who know me know that my kind of life motto is anything for a good story. Like, I mean anything for a good story. I'll do anything. And my life is pretty exciting at this point. I've had a lot of very weird things happen to me, shootouts at gas stations in Joplin. I've had, like, weird murders apartments I've gone to, weird um, muggings for sunglasses on Langdon Street. Lots of weird stuff. There are other stories. My life was pretty boring pre-puberty. Puberty is a time of a lot of change. Right, you know, physical changes, mental changes, but a lot of those are personality changes. For me, it was a big personality change. I was that kid, you know, the kid. I wasn't the popular girl, as everyone's talked about (laughs) in high school. I was that one kid, you know, the one, the one with the long hair who was vegetarian, who wore a button up shirt with a tie every day to school, the one who spent his lunches going to knitting club, because I was the secretary, uh, going to debate tournaments up in, you know, uh, places like Superior, Wisconsin, going to Mall the United Nations mock trial, steward political union, things like this. My life was. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and I did have friends, and that's how the story starts. Um, <laughs> I wasn't friendless. I had these friends. Standard. I was a little shyer, and I didn't really seek out adventure. But it was my sophomore year of high school, so little Sammy Jr. is wearing his button-up shirt, and he's having a good summer after sophomore year. And I was friends with a lot of older kids through these clubs that I was a part of. 
And it was there last night in Shorewood, Wisconsin, which is on the northeast side of Milwaukee. Who knows that area at all? And, you know, Shorewood's not exciting. It's a very boring <laughs> suburb to live in. It's very suburban standard life. And we decided, you know, it was these older kids I was friends with. They just graduated high school. I just left my sophomore year. But it was there last night before coming to UW-Madison for school. So let's have a fun last night. So I went with them to our favorite coffee shop, Rochambeau, on the east side of Milwaukee. And it was a lot of fun. And we stayed there. Some Rochambeau love <laughs> until about 11 30 and my mother had a very strict curfew of it don't be home after midnight you know that's the latest you can be out and i thought wow it's pretty risque after midnight but i'll take it so 11 30 comes around i said guys i have to go home soon and my friends are all older they said let's go to the beach for a little bit and swim for like 20 minutes we'll go home no big deal so we go to the beach at shorewood if you've never been is on a big bluff and you walk down a huge staircase down to the beach so we go to this beach it's closed but we say whatever we'll go we're pretty badass high school kids. Um, and we say, well, the normal beach is boring, but if we hop this fence to the right, it's our friend Patrick's beach. It's, it's a private beach, but Patrick, you know, he's at school in Reed right now, and he wouldn't mind, so we go to his private beach. So we hop this fence. I'm already sweating profusely, loudly sweating. I'm nervous at this point. We, we hop the fence and go to the beach. Everyone says, let's go skinny dipping. Uh, to me, this is not a good idea. So I stay on the beach with my friend Dee. We just talk and, and have a good time. Everyone else jumps in the water. All their clothes are laid upon the beach. Everyone's skate dipping, and then all of a sudden, it's nearing midnight. So I'm like, guys, hey, we have to go. My mom's going to be upset. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm very nervous. I The, the only thing I hated more than losing uh, chess tournaments, because I was varsity chess team captain. <laughs> um, I was. Very proud. First board. It was great. Um, the only thing I hated more than that was getting in trouble. So I had to be home at midnight. I said, guys, hey, let's, let's go soon. And all of a sudden, this light, floodlight turns on from the top of the bluff. And this was very common because kids at Shorewood um, love smoking weed. Uh, it's They call it Shoreweed for a reason. Everyone would go down to the beach and smoke weed and drink. But we weren't. We were just skinny dipping. It's okay. And trespassing. So it's okay. Uh, and the light shines down on the main part of the beach. And we see it. And then it shuts off. We say, oh, no big deal. So everyone starts to get off the out of the water except for a few people. And light shines back and comes over to our side of the beach. It shines on my friend Austin, who's in the water. Austin was like the cool bassist in this band. Uh, so being the you know smart child he is, he stands up and flips off the light. The light shuts off. And then seven lights turn on. They start walking on the beach. We all freak out. Everyone runs out, grabs some random article of clothing. I have three towels and a t-shirt and a bra on my shoulder. And we're just running down. Because we can't go back up the beach to the bluff because there's cops there. So we're just running through this brush. So my friend Hazel takes up, up this bluff. My friends Dee and Austin go to the left. I follow this main pack of people following our friend Santera down through the bushes to the right side down this beach. We're running. We're just booking it. And we see Santera falls on her face and left. So we just leave her and just keep running. <laughs> And we go to the right, we're running, running, fueled by our hormones, like massive estrogen, testosterone is pushing us through. Going and we see this clearing of bushes. We jump in these bushes, and we're hiding in there. And, you know, I, being the person that I am, I have a very stiff upper lip, I am sobbing hysterically, <laughs> uh, making a great impression in my very cool college-level friends. Because I'm in control. I'm so scared. I can't go to jail. I'm crying, sobbing hysterically, screaming, I don't want to go to jail, I can't get a ticket, the cops are going to arrest me, they're going to be so, so scared, sobbing, my friend Tyler is holding me from the back, like I'm like his child, and he's a mother, he's rocking it back and forth, it's going to be okay, Sammy, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, I'm just so, God, this is 
naked. I look around. Everyone's in this weird state of undress and semi-dress. Everyone has like some girls have like basketball shorts and a bra on. Some guys just have a long shirt on. There's one guy in a crop top and his boxers. It's like a big like it's just a mess. We look ridiculous, and everyone's just looking at me like, "Shut the fuck up!" There's cops everywhere. Don't you see them? So I, you know, I, I managed to suffocate to just like <laughs> as we see cops like walking around with their flashlights looking for us in the bushes. And we're just in these bushes for about 45 minutes, just just huddled in these bushes. And um, eventually, the cops leave, and we all meet up and regroup together. We have everyone together, but we're missing Sentara, the girl who fell on her face, and we left. And Hazel, who went up the bluff. So we call Hazel, and she's like, yeah, guys, I'm at home. I just ran up the bluff. No big deal. I lived close by, so have a good night. <laughs> I hope the rest of the day goes okay. Uh, and we call Sentara, we can't get a hold of her. But, you know, we have more important things, so we're stuck on this beach right now. We know we can't go up the bluff, because the cops always way to the top of the bluff. This was a well-known thing. There's a nature preserve trail about a mile down north, uh, which we couldn't walk, but the cops always waited there, too, because they knew kids were assholes and just, like, walked down a mile to, like, walk up and avoid the cops. So our only other options are we could... We considered swimming across Lake Michigan for a moment. Uh, that died. <laughs> it kind of fell flat. So we decided to walk up this bluff. It's about this steep, you know. It's covered in mud and trees. We're like, we can do it. We can we can band together. It was horrible. We're climbing up, just pulling ourselves up this bluff. Like towels and a bra on my shoulder. And I was like climbing up this bluff. We make it to the top. We're just like caked in dirt and sweat and fear. And... <laughs> We get into Tyler's car because he was the cool one that could drive. And we get in his car and we they, we drive by. We see there's cops everywhere all over the place. So we were right not to walk up the bluff. But we can't find Sintera. And we start getting worried. We're driving up and down. We go up and down Lake Drive, which goes all along this beach, if you know the Milwaukee area, looking like, where is Sintera? We can't find her. And our minds start to wander, as pubescent minds tend to do. And this car becomes an echo chamber for our thoughts. And these kind of bounce around, and we get nervous, and more nervous, and nervous. Where's Sintera? Like, where could she be? She's probably still down the bluff. Either she was arrested, or she's down the bluff, because we're calling our cell phone, and she's not answering. You know, what happened to her? So we park the car back on the top of the bluff, and my friends say, oh, well, we're going to climb back down and, and go look for her. And we, I stayed in the car with my friend D, who twisted his ankle running from the police. And this is really smart, because we're the two 15-year-olds, and the car is parked illegally, and we don't have keys or a license. So hopefully no one comes out of the car. But all the rest of the adults walk down this bluff again to go look for Zantara. And we talked about, we're like, we well, you know, is she dressed? Does she have clothes? Was she arrest- Is she naked in the short police department, arrested for trespassing? <laughs> Is it possible that she hit her head in a rock? Did she float into the lake? Are they going to find her body in days? What happened? Where is she? And we get more and more worried. So they're down there on the bluff, on the beach. They climb back on this bluff for about half an hour. They come back up. They have these sullen looks on their faces. And they get back in the car. They're like, we didn't find anything. We didn't find anything at all. And my friend Colleen said this line that I'll never forget. And she looks at us and just this really serious look and says, guys... I realized when we were down there looking for Santera, we weren't looking for our friend Santera. We were looking for a body. <laughs> and this echo chamber of emotions and puberty goes, oh my god, you're right! It's, it's, that's the most likely part. She's dead! She's clearly dead! There's no... She, she would have called... 
she's dead. She's dead. Her, she, she, it's, it's over. We have to go tell her parents. So we, we sit in this car, and it's just advanced in this echo chamber of, like, we're, like, imagining, like, her head's busted, her brains are laying on the ground, she's floating in the, they're going to dredge her body up, we're going to be trying for murder, it's going to be horrible. We have to go, to, it's about, it's about four in the morning at this point. And we drive to her house, and we sit in the car outside for a while, we're like, okay, we, who wants to go talk to Sintera's parents? So we should all go up together. You know, this is a this is a group murder confession. <laughs> hello, hello. Your daughter's dead. Uh, we felt like skinny dipping after drinking delicious coffee. Sorry, I apologize. Um, so we all like, gather together, and then my phone rings. It's a number I don't recognize, and I answer the phone. Hello? Oh, hey, what's up? Where are you guys? It's Santera. <laughs> where, is it the ghost of Santera? No, it's really Santera. Where, where are you? Oh, I'm in my house, in my room. What's, uh, what's going on, guys? Come, we're, in, we're in a car outside. Come outside. What's wrong with you? <laughs> she comes out like, where have you been? Get in the car. We, we're going we're to talk. So she gets in the car. She's totally got a scratch on her, fully dressed, not just naked walking around. Her brain is in her head. So it's, it's better than we thought by every means. And she says, oh, well, you know, I fell and you guys left me. I, I noticed that. Uh, she was a, a runner. She was in the track team, I believe, and she just ran for a mile and then got tired and fell asleep in some bushes for about an hour. Uh, her phone died during that hour. That's why I couldn't reach her. Uh, she woke up, climbed up the nature preserve trail. There were no cops. Uh, she walked home because she'd ran a mile, so it took a while to get home, and uh, climbed in her window and, and then called us. And we happened to be outside her apartment. So we all get in the car and go to Ma Fisher's in Milwaukee, my favorite 24-hour diner where all the waitresses know me because I go there too much. And... Um, we get there, and it's 4.30. We're just decompressing. It's amazing. And my phone rings again, but this is a number that I do know. It's my mother. <laughs> and I answer the phone. Where are you? I said, Tara was dead. Her brains were in Lake Michigan. Uh, we thought it's... Uh, just get home. I said, I have a really, I swear to God, you would be proud of me. I thought my friend was dead. She said, just come home. Who, who's dead? Said, no, no, she's alive. It's okay. Uh, and I got home and told my mother, and it, it was all okay. And that sent me down this life of weird shootings in Joplin, muggings on Langdon, and Murrow's apartments that my life is today. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Sammy. As I said, Sammy's got great stories. Our next story is somebody named Terry Kissling. Terry? Kissling? Terry? Hey, Terry, do you want to hold the mic or do you want it up on here? I think I want it on that. Okay. Give it up for Terry, everybody. I need two mics, actually. But um, that was, I hate to follow him. That was funny. I think I need to blow my nose. I was laughing so hard. Um, uh, Well, first of all, let me just say I had a really, really strict father. Um, I learned a lot from all you guys tonight, things I didn't ever know. Um, But I grew up in a family of six children and my mom and dad like I said my dad was really really strict and um, we weren't allowed to look at a boy if a boy looked at us my dad would knock him out Um, 
But this was before the days of making out with boys where we'd sneak out and go to, off in cars with them. Um, we lived in this teeny tiny little house with just two bedrooms, eight people living in the house. And... Um, we had a nice yard. We had apple trees that we climbed a lot. We had a gigantic weeping willow tree. And so when I was probably, well, before I started making out with boys, so I was probably more like 10, 11, 12 years old or something like that. This was before that. Um, I'd climb way, way, way up high in the weeping willow trees. You know how big weeping willow trees can be. And sit in the cr- the crotch, I guess, of these two. And I would make out with the trunk of one. And then I would turn and I'd make out with the trunk of the other one. And then it would be like all these precious little, you know, love whisperings in my ear. It was probably like the weeping willow uh, things. And... Nobody ever knew. Nobody knew because I was so high up there. And I did that several, several times throughout probably two summers. And it was really enjoyable. I learned a lot up there. And um, then one time, this one day, it all came to a crashing halt. And it wasn't like my dad or anything like that because if my dad knew I was doing that, That'd be the end of it, but it wasn't dad. I looked off to the side after making out with each one of them, and there were these horrible, horrible, gruesome crustaceans, bug-eyed little crusty shells on the tree, and they were, I didn't know what they were back then. I found out many, many years later that they were the discarded shells of cicadas. And I looked, I looked at one, I looked at another, I looked up there, I looked down there, and they were everywhere in the tree. And I climbed down so fast, I never went back again. And that was the end of making out with trees for me. I think that is the loudest applause I've ever heard for a story here. I can honestly say I've never made out with a tree. Uh, I don't remember who our next storyteller is. Uh, Elliot Fisher, where are you at? Everybody give it up for Elliot! So this is another make out with a tree story. I'm not even going to attempt to top that one. Uh, So I grew up on a farm in a really small town in northeast Iowa. And in my small town, uh, your coolness factor in school was directly related to your athletic ability in school. 
Needless to say, as a skinny kid with a massive melon on his shoulders, athletic ability was not my forte whatsoever. Uh, I had had failed attempts at Little League, uh, and by the time seventh grade rolled around, which was junior high for us, not middle school like you Wisconsinites, uh, it was then time to start playing organized sports in uh, junior high. Uh, my parents, I think, were never big into pushing us into doing things or forcing us to go out for things. But after about the 15th time of my parents asking if I was going to go out for basketball in seventh grade, I eventually just caved in and said, okay, fine, I'll do it. Um, I think what had happened was uh, we had a basketball hoop set up in my barn. And so my attempts to get away from my siblings and go shoot hoops for a while was interpreted as being, I love basketball. Uh, the problem was, was that our our hoop was set up in the corner of the barn. It was not of regulation height, and I was playing with a half-inflated Michael Jordan basketball. So whatever skills I had were not accurate to real basketball playing. So anyway, uh, practice starts for seventh grade basketball, and because I went to a really small school, uh, there were no tryouts or auditions and no cuts. If you showed up, you were on the team. And so I made the team. Uh, but I quickly decided that I was actually fairly good at basketball practice. Uh, I mastered our two offensive plays like crazy. Like, I knew where to throw the ball, and I knew where to run after throwing the ball. And I was really good at this. The problem was is that I never quite made the connection of when someone should make an active effort to shoot the ball into the hoop. So I was really good at passing and running. Uh, and so games finally started. Uh, I was not in the starting lineup. Uh, I was not the sixth guy who came in and scored 20 points off the bench and shocked everybody. Uh, I was instead the kid who came in when there was 35 seconds left in the quarter. You were ahead by a pretty wide margin, and you were basically giving the starters a rest at that point in time so that they could catch their breath. That was me. I had that spot down. So in one of our games, uh, we were playing Lansing Key Middle School, uh, home of the Keyhawks. Uh, and <laughs> thankfully, my teammates had built up a fairly wide enough margin that I got to play more than the 35 seconds at the end of the game. Uh, so they put me into the lineup, but Lansing Key was bound and determined that they were still going to beat us. And so their strategy, like it is with teams that are often behind, was to foul the players on the leading team with the hopes of sending them to the free throw line, they would miss, and then they would go and score. It's a strategy which to this day I have yet to see be effective at all. <laughs> However, Kihai saw me come into the game, a skinny kid with a bad haircut, huge glasses, and the lucky number 13 on their jersey, and they probably thought, jackpot. <laughs> Every time I touched the ball, they proceeded to foul me and send me to the free throw line. That game, I went 0 for 6 in free throws before the starter was put back in, who was sitting on four fouls at the time. It's okay. A couple weeks later, uh, we're playing our arch rivals, Central of Al-Qaeda, uh, and we are playing our hearts out, and luckily, once again, my teammates had built up a massive lead, meaning that I got to go into the game a little bit earlier than planned. At this point, I realized offense was not my strategy, so I decided I was going to be a defensive force like none other, which unfortunately resulted in me picking up three relatively quick fouls as well. <laughs> Apparently, like running up behind someone and trying to force the ball out of their hands and hitting them 
is not defensive strategy. <laughs> so we're getting down toward the end of the first half, and we were quite ahead by quite a bit. The play was going on on our end of the court. I was passing and running like crazy, but I was all of a sudden kind of distracted by the fact that there were a lot of people in the stands for a junior high basketball game. Uh, I guess we were rivals, so, you know, 100 people showing up is reasonable. So... All of a sudden, the ball has since disappeared, and I'm kind of left standing near the free throw line of our side, but there are no players in front of me at all. The ball had started to take off toward the other end of the basketball floor. I realized that this was not right. I should turn around and probably pursue the ball wherever it was. And so I turned around just in time to see one of my teammates do an amazing behind-the-back throw to save it from going over the half-court line. I was luckily in the position where the ball came right into my hands, standing at the free throw line. At that moment, I kind of came to my senses, and all I could hear was people screaming, shoot the ball. So that's what I did. And I turned around, faced the hoop, somehow didn't travel with the ball, shot it, and it went in. I was as shocked as you all were. And for about 30 seconds, I was in the zone of all zones, thrilled to death that I had finally scored a basket in seventh grade basketball. So we head to halftime. People are excited about the one basket that I shot. I honestly cannot tell you the rest of the game for the life of me, because I think it was all just downhill from there for me. Anyway, we're on the bus, on our way back to our school, and as with all like amazing moments, like it's kind of fleeting, and you kind of want to see some kind of evidence that it in fact actually happened for you. So I walked up to the front of the bus, sat down next to the team manager who had with her the official scorebook of the game, and so I sat down and I said, hey, can I look at the scorebook? Because I really wanted to see like that basket in writing. And so I opened it up to the page, number 13, Elliot Fisher, with a little hash mark by the two to show that I had made two points in that game. And so it was the only representation of the first and what would also be the only basket I would ever score in junior high basketball. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, I totally forgot who our next person is. Ashley, who's the next person after Elliot? James Farley has told several good stories. You, this is like your third time, right? So this is James' third time. He's told, he's told two great stories. So everybody, put a huge story. I was getting ready to go to the bathroom. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> right here. Um, all right. Um, so I am 14 years old, um, and I am sitting in a group in in the. Uh, I was in a class in high school called the Kid Class. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty pretty snotty. <laughs> 
the teachers that I was creative, so I got to be in the gifted class. It was a standardized test, no less. Um, <laughs> filled in the bubbles. <laughs> um, so I'm in a three-person group, and the, uh, the two other people in my group are very attractive young ladies. They're sitting across this table from me. Um, and I, I'd, I'd been pretty socially able in my life until two years before that, um, when puberty hit, and that's what the, this night is all about, is puberty. Um, and then I became progressively more socially awkward. Um, so I could get through, I, I, I had friends, they were all guys, but I had friends. Um, I could talk to a guy I didn't know if I looked at the floor and stuttered. Um, and I could not talk to a girl for the life of me. Um, so, um, like, like such such was my despair, the black pit that I was in, that, that my favorite band was the Counting Crows, and I listened to them on repeat all the time, all of it I listened to. I had a binder with an angsty font that had all of their lyrics in it. It was very good. Um, so here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting across from these girls, and it's worse than normal because, um, like, I... Normally, I could at least get out like a uh-huh or something. Um, here, I'm in a group with these girls for 50 minutes, and I do not say a word. They are directly addressing me, um, and I do not say a word. Um, so, so, so this is just to illustrate um, my social inability at this time. I'm, I'm, I'm able to talk to girls now. Almost all of my friends in, in Madison, as a result of my wife's graduate, graduate program, are uh, female librarians with cats and cardigans. Um, uh, so, um, so the gifted program was three semesters long, um, three half years long, um, and in the last semester you got to do like a like a free range study project, and it was the first time I'd ever had the ability to do anything I wanted, um, and we got a, we we like had to find a mentor. We had four months to learn how to do a thing, um, and then we had to present it at an expo at the end of the semester. It was great. Um, so I thought, like, this is an opportunity for me to, like, uh, like kind of get out of my comfort zone, show people that I can be cool. Um, like, I, I can talk to people. So I decided to learn how to be a clown. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> my name, my clown name was Parsley. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, my, my mentor was a retired police officer. We'll call him Lettuce, because I don't want to um, identify anyone here. Um, um, but uh, uh, I learned how to apply makeup. I was very good at applying makeup. Um, there, are, there are, like, I learned how to juggle. I learned balloon animals, the whole thing. Um, so there are three tiers of clown. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. There are three distinct types of clown. Um, at, at the top are, are, are the clowns with the white faces. That's the, those are the white faces. Um, in the middle are the clowns with um, like, like flesh-colored paint and white around the mouths, but they're smiling. Um, and those are auguste clowns. That's like old Italian. Um, and then finally, there are tramp clowns. And those are the sad clowns that look like they're homeless. And that was me. Um, I, I gravitated right towards that. Um, <laughs> 
Um, so I'm going to tell you about two clowning experiences. It was my, my first and my last. Um, so the first time that I was like a clown on my own was at we had a, we had a student expo before like the actual expo for gifted. <laughs> um, so like the students could come down during their lunch hours and learn about our projects, um, and it was great because high school girls love balloon animals. Um, <laughs> I made, there was, Lettuce had taught me how to make a very complicated little tiger with like cheeks and a nose and everything. Um, And it was adorable and every, every attractive girl in the school wanted a tiger. Um, It was great. I I, I actually, um, my my pointer finger was bleeding by the end of the day. Like, like, look at all these girls. Um, I, it, like, and, and not only that, but, 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 like, Parsley could talk to girls. Like, I, I, I wasn't a good clown. I wasn't funny, but I could at least talk to them. Um, I, I, I wasn't any different than I am now. Um, like, like, this was my demeanor as a clown. Um, but, uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, like, like Parsley could talk to clowns, or talk to clowns, talk to girls. Um, so then um, I had maybe five or six different clowning occasions, um, and they gradually got more awful. Um, so I'm going to talk about the last one because it, it combined all of the awful things um, in, 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 into one experience. Um, so... I volunteered to uh, do, um, there was like a fair at the church to benefit the church, Um, and I went, um, the Knights of Columbus were running it, Um, they, um, so so I was going to make balloon animals as a clown, and they were going to be $2.50 a piece. Which is really steep, um, I felt like. But all the money was going to the church. So I was like, "What? Like you guys can whatever." Um, so, uh, um, so, so, like, um, so, like, like a common thing is you, you make a kid like a sword or a flower or something, and then they hit you with it, um, and that's okay. Um, so, 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 so that's like the first level of irritation. Um, the second level is when a little kid just comes up and hits you. Um, that that happened. Um, third is when a small child comes up. Well, a gang of small children. Um, no no parents, um, and they want a balloon animal for free. You you the clown tell them no, and then they say, "Well, can I have a deflated balloon then?" Like, okay, I just threw balloons at them. Um, um, the fourth is when. Um, as, as you know, many people are afraid of clowns. Um, the, the fourth worst thing that can happen is when, like, a group of, like, of, like, Guido-looking assholes walks by and is like, oh, look at that guy, he's a clown. Um, only they're much meaner about it. Um, they're much meaner about it, and they make you feel bad. Um, and, 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 and then, don't, don't, no, it's okay, I, I survived. Um, and, 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 and the last level of awful things that, hap- that, that, that can happen to a clown is when a mother and a child come up, well, no, the second to last is when um, there's a screaming child and the parents j- are dragging the screaming child towards the clown because this is how we're going to learn how to get over our fears. Um, no, no. Um, that's, that's how you irritate the clown. <laughs> um, like, like no one gets a balloon animal and everyone is sad. Um, and, and finally was the woman who came up and 
said to me, well, last year the balloon animals were only a dollar. You're extorting us. I was being accused of price fixing at a church fair where all of the proceeds were going to the church, and the price had been dictated to me. Um, so, so I found out that I did not like dealing with um, children or their parents or um, really like crowds of people. So clowning was not for me. Um, I haven't clowned since. Um, but I feel like what I learned from clowning was that, um, like, I, I've been. I've I've been very afraid of people judging. Um, and since, like, I, I realized that I was no different as a clown than I am as a person. Um, and, like, no matter what people did to me, I, I, I still, like, went to bed and woke up the next day and everything was okay. Um, so that kind of started, um, like, 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 the process of, of becoming more confident socially. That I'm, I'm, I'm still working on that. You can tell I'm nervous right now because I'm fidgeting. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but, but yeah, so, so that was great. Um, but more importantly than that, what I want all of you to take away from this is just don't be a dick to the clowns. <laughs> Let's put your hands together for one of my favorite storytellers, Dave Babbler, everybody. Thanks, Adam. It's quite the introduction. <laughs> um, so yeah, my name is Dave Babbler, and tonight's topic is puberty. Um, I'm going to use the word adolescence from now on, just because puberty is a really gross word. <laughs> like, the only thing grosser than the word puberty is puberty. So I'm just going to use the word adolescence as a mature adult. Like, yeah, I'm, uh, adolescence is not puberty. So as an adolescent, um, I, I feel like, honestly, tonight has been like a homecoming of like outcasts and nerds. Like everyone's come up here and they're like, oh, I was so gross. And like the cool per people are so cool. And like, I think I'm right with you. Like, I don't know what's going on. It's a homecoming. Who sent out the invites? I didn't get one. But uh, for real, like, it's just like everyone. And I appreciate that. Like, no one's come up here and been like, oh, yeah, I, I, I shot the free throw at the basketball game and I did the girl and now I'm, I'm here. Like, everyone's like, I was in the chess club and I was greasy and I was in the chess club, you all. I was greasy. I'm right there with you. So now my story. <laughs> Adolescence started for me probably like when I was in fifth grade. I think actually I'm like 90% sure it's fifth grade. And the reason I know it started um, is because there's this one day in class. Um, and as you know, in fifth grade, you only have one teacher, you know, the entire day you sit through the class and I don't remember what subject we were being taught at the time, but all I remember is this shocking sensation in my pants. I said, oh, come on, you guys. I had to pee. <laughs> You guys are sick. I had to pee. So I look up at the clock, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, we get out in like 15 minutes, and you guys are looking at my legs right now. This is what's going on. Legs like pinched together, and I'm like bouncing, and there's a quiz that we have to take before we can actually get out, and I can go to the bathroom. But you guys, I was so awkward and insecure and greasy, and I love chess that... I was afraid to just raise my hand and be like, hey, I have to go to the bathroom. Can I just leave? Because I'm like afraid of like, what people would think of me because I'm already super weird. <laughs> so I sit there with my legs squirming and bouncing up and down, getting ready to take this quiz. <laughs> the quiz gets passed out. The quiz sits on my desk. 
and I can't think any about anything but the urinal that sits about a 50 feet across the hall. And I get my pencil in hand, and I just start, like, scribbling lines. <laughs> I don't answer any questions. I just start, like, drawing lines. And what I really wanted to do was just grab my pencil and be, oh, I have to pee. But I was too afraid because I'm super weird, and everyone's going to be like, he has to pee. What a weirdo. Because I'm already weird, and I'm self-conscious, and I think that's what people are going to think about me. So I sit through this. <laughs> and, like, there's, like, ten minutes left before... And all of a sudden, oh, I just release. And along with the urine that I released, you guys, so did my pride. It just went right out the window. And at that point, I just gave up on trying to do the quiz and just sat there thinking about the wet mess that is my khaki pants. Thank you. And at this point, I'm trying to think about, okay, so this is puberty. (laughs) Not really. Honestly, I have a very small bladder, and I had issues all through school. (laughs) But at that moment, I realized I need to become a man. (laughs) So that's why I say this started puberty for me. It wasn't like this super sexual thing like, oh, that's a girl? Oh, that's my dingus? Like, it wasn't that. It was just, I peed my pants, and I'm just stewing on this, thinking what it will be like to be a man (laughs) and to sit through class with dry khaki pants. (laughs) So I peed my pants and I sat there hoping this quiz would go by and no one would notice. I don't know how. (laughs) She's like, all right, everyone everyone pass forward the quizzes. You know, like they pass them forward and they all go up to the front row person and then everyone collects them and they grade them and then you're judged on your grade. But... I sat there, passed it forward, and she's like, all right, we're all going to go to recess. And it was like, yay, we're going to play kickball. And then I'm just like sitting there staring at everyone. <laughs> Waiting for everyone to leave. And it got to the point where my teacher said, Dave, aren't you going to go to recess? And I just, I just give her this look like. <laughs> it was just like that, I promise you. And she comes over, she's like, Dave, what's wrong? And I just kind of like, look down at my khakis. And she looks down, and she laughs at me. My hand's shaking right now from the memory. She laughs at me, and my head directly goes deeper into my chest. So sad. So my mom has to come and bring me a dry pair of pants, and I have to walk humiliatingly down the hall, (laughs) trying to, like, cover it up and just... And you guys, that has stuck with me. And then, that isn't even part of the story. Honestly, I I came up here, I don't really have a story. I'm just, like, kind of just talking about adolescence. That's, like, the main story. Here's another one. Um, Because I was so awkward... Like, and so self-conscious, like, there's like this, like, okay, so there's this competition between kids once you start realizing that you're becoming men, that, like, whoever can reach manhood first is the dominant male, whoever can make those free throws and drink the juice box and successfully win the game, and, like, and, like, everyone who plays sports is super cool, but, like, there's, like, this, like, race to manhood, which you don't get in, like, third and fourth grade. In third and fourth grade, you're, like, playing on the swings, you're out and recess, oh, hey, Dave, did you know that you use your dingus to pee and make babies? And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. It's like, yeah. 
Yeah, totally. But like, they're so friendly. They're like, oh, sharing knowledge. Like, do you understand this? Because I learned this. And I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. I didn't know that. But you get into fifth grade and everyone's just like, you didn't know that? <laughs> so like, I go into the bathroom. So like, I, I would like go into the bathroom, like trying to avoid everyone else. And like, because the, the, in the bathroom is where the darkest things happen between guys. <laughs> I go in and I just walk up to your urinal, just like I gotta pee. And then like someone comes in, kicks on the door. Yeah, we're, we're dudes, and they're like, and they're, they're like stroking their chin pubes, and and like they're so proud of their manhood. And then they and they come up and they they come up to either urinal on either side of me, and they're like, "Oh, Dave, you picked the middle urinal." <laughs> and I, for the rest of the day, I tried to figure out what that meant. For the rest of the day, I tried to figure out what that meant. I was like, I shouldn't know this. I stroked my forehead grease. And then I got home that night, still thinking about this, still thinking about it. I put in my Space Jam cassette. And I put on the most therapeutic, spiritual song I knew, which is I Believe I Can Fly. And I sat there singing along at the top of my voice, I believe I can fly. Mom walks in. Dave, is everything okay? Mom! Like, I was just getting, like, obviously, like, I'm super hormonal and, like, reactional. <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> you guys, puberty is so awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, that's my experience as a pubescent. Oh, sorry. God, I said it. You guys didn't even get mad. Adolescent man, young man. But that's one thing I can share with you guys, is that there is this race to manhood during adolescence one that I most certainly lost <laughs> thank you guys I, honestly I have no idea what Dave's story was about <laughs> he, he just says a bunch of funny things and then does this a lot and it's, it's great um, Jess Brand Brand Hop, Hopst Jess. So, everybody in this room right now, clap your hands for Jess. Hi. Thank you. So, I'm Jess. I grew up in Texas, which is in, in the most Friday night lights, rural, cow town you can ever imagine. And when you live in a small town like that, one of the only ways that you can prove yourself as a popular kid is to start playing sports. Doesn't matter what it is, choose one and do it with all of your ability. And if you fail, you are done forever. So... As you can tell, I'm very statuesque. Um, people have called me a giant. Um, I chose basketball. And it starts early when you're in the South. So fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade, basketball for me. Every day, hanging out with my friends, my dad bought me a, uh, a basketball goal to put in the driveway and to just shoot baskets. And, of, of course, my dad is 6'3", so he thought, oh, great, I'm going to have this all-star daughter, and I can ride her coattails to glory for the rest of my entire life. That is not true. Um, so actually, I, I really enjoyed it, and I loved the social aspect of basketball. And uh, I, I first started, and I had a little bit of hand-eye coordination and good coaching, and um, and so I got into it. And I got onto um, kind of the path where you get to play a lot. 
I had a lot of friends. You know, it, it was going well. And this is fifth grade. Um, and then I realized I had boobies. <laughs> And by, I realized I had boobies, it was really because you're standing in a locker room full of these budding women. And mind you, I'm straight, but I wanted to motorboat all of them. And then I looked at myself, and I realized, oh no, I'm behind. There's nothing here. My mom had generously bought me because we had these hand-me-down basketball jerseys that hung real low on the sides. So as a fifth grader, you can't just walk out there with just the jersey on. You've got to have a sports bra. And anybody who's anybody knows that if you've got a sports bra on, it's got to be red when your colors are blue so that you can flash a little to the side when you run down the court and make your basket, which I was never doing. So, so every day I would undress in the locker room and kind of like shimmy out of my clothes. And I had what my mom had gotten me. It was basically like a, like a crop top with some like stretchy fabric to make me feel like it was a real bra. But in reality, I realized that I was a washboard right up here and just could not compete. And I would look across at Emma Brown. Emma Brown, that buxom, beautiful blonde, that bitch, with that lime green, limited to starter bra, with the underwire, she needed underwire in fifth grade, I was like, fuck, So I'd like cry myself to sleep at night and be really angry at my mom for buying me this stupid red stretchy bra. So flash forward, I've been stewing in my sadness for a couple years. You make it through middle school slowly, surely, pittered along. There's so many stories, don't have time for them now. You get to eighth grade. Little time has passed. We're graduating eighth grade, and the big thing that our school would do was a big uh, pool party at the end of the year as a celebration for all that you have accomplished by the time you're 13 and you're ready to go into high school. And so it's Texas, so it's warm, it's hot, it's perfect. We go to the country club in like a neighboring city, because ours was too poor, and uh, and it has one of those pools that has like the salt water and the crystal white sand. It's very similar to a beach. My parents couldn't afford it, but I was really excited. And on uh, you, you. Uh, freak out about what bathing suit you're going to wear to this thing, right? Because the guys, all the football guys are like cut and they're wearing like just the right length of bathing suit a trunk thing which at that point in time because Jinkos were still kind of in was like right down here. <laughs> Meanwhile, the girls of course have to wear just the right amount of bathing suits so that you show off all the right curves. So I of course buy a tankini with boy shorts. It's the closest thing to being a nun that I can think of. But it's hot pink. And we frolic and we play some sand volleyball and we drink soda, wishing it were beer so we could drown our sorrows. And then there is a 
a slide in this pool that is nicely, you know, salinated with salt. And towards the end of the, of the day, we're starting to slide down. And I have some friends, and we're kind of playing. So I slide down the slide, and I make a huge splash, and I'm laughing, and it's really deep in this deep end, and I realize my tankini has popped up, and I am showing the world my chest. And I am mortified, but also, as I surface through this crystal clear water, and I look at the boys around me, I see them and I realize, wait, my time has come. They care. And I finally have boobs. That was my story. Hey, that's it for this episode. Hope you had a good time. Uh, hearing about everybody's awkward phase of life and uh, maybe you'll learn something new if you're young and you're in the throes of puberty. Uh, I hope this episode has been a comfort to you and has taught you that everybody goes through, goes through this challenging time. You're not alone in your journey, uh, but you are alone. Nobody likes you. Anyway, our next Story Slam is Friday, February 27th. The theme is Worst Job, and again, we'll be at Johnson Public House. I just want to say thanks to everybody who comes out and makes Story Slam what it is. We wouldn't be anything without you. Keep listening. We'll see you next time.